Today's Egg Spotlight episode is sponsored by Energrow. Energrow's oilseed pressing system helps farmers crush their feed costs. The easy way to make fresh, homegrown, high-quality meal plus expeller pressed oil right on the farm. The fully automated Turnkey Crush Pro is easy to set up and run 24-7. To learn more, go to energrow.ca. Welcome to the North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is the Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He has more than 20 years of experience in natural resources, land use issues, and advocacy on behalf of the cattle industry. He's also spent 10 years helping to grow and manage a large real estate and ranch portfolio in Arizona, and his experience gives him a unique perspective on the challenges that producers face every day. I'd like to welcome Ethan Lane. Welcome, Ethan, and thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Great. So the uh, we'll get right into it. The Farm System Reform Act was introduced by Democrat Representative Ro Khanna in the House and Democratic Senator Cory Booker in the Senate. And the legislation is designed to phase out large feedlots, give farmers the opportunity to transition to raising animals on pasture or crop production. It's supported by over 200 animal wealth well, animal welfare sustainable agriculture, environmental, and public health organizations. Um, You've been vocal about your opposition to the Farm System Reform Act in the last two weeks. So can you give us some background on the the bill and your stance on it? You bet. And and you you did a really good job of laying out kind of, you know, part of the concern, right, is is this is a bill that uh, is is really being pitched as uh, an effort to help small family farmers and ranchers around the country. That's certainly the argument that's being made. Uh, it's coming from from members of Congress, you know, Ro Khanna uh, uh, from uh, uh, from California and and Cory Booker, who who simply aren't traditionally people who look out for the best interests of small farmers and ranchers. Um, yeah. And and you know what they're asking to do, what they're seeking to do with this bill, is really disrupt um, what has proven to be the the most efficient, optimized cattle production system in the world. You know, we produce the highest quality beef on the planet here in the U.S., and we do it with the lowest environmental footprint uh, in in the world. We do that because we have a couple key resources at our disposal. We have access to hundreds of millions of acres of purpose-built grazing land. That that backbone of 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 ranch country around around the the, the country from from California all the way to uh, to you know to to Virginia that that allows us to graze these animals. Uh, in a really efficient way that stores a lot of carbon in the soil and puts a lot of uh, environmental benefit back into the to the ground while we're raising those cattle, also allows us to transition to that feedlot phase for about 95% of our cattle supply here in the United States. And that optimized feedlot stop is where we really give our beef that distinctive flavor profile uh, that consumers here and around the world uh, really seek out. I mean, you know, when we when we talk about the best beef in the world, what what makes it so? I mean, it's it's the it's the hand in hand. It's that it's that fantastic yeah. grassland feeding, and then that 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 grain finish that we that we apply, and it also has the benefit of reducing the resources that we consume and and use to to raise that product. If we had to finish all of those cattle uh, on grass the entirety of their of their lifespan, we would be looking at a far larger environmental footprint. Um, and in that optimized system that we're using now. Now, that being said, there's a there's a robust grass-fed market in the United States as well, and there's a certain segment of consumers that that seek that out. We want to make sure those are all the options that are available for for consumers. But uh, simply put, the vast majority of what we produce follows that system. So, you know, to to initiate a piece of legislation that is 
ostensibly on behalf of small family farmers and ranchers that takes away one of the critical tools that they have to bring their animals to market uh, is, is at best disingenuous um, and, and, and is certainly, uh, certainly not welcome help for any of our producers around the country. Right. And, and so Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker, they're backing this. And to me, that says volumes about the direction that the bill will, will take us. And I don't necessarily think that is, or could be good for farmers, but, but what do you think about that? Well, you know, anytime you have a piece of legislation that, that is aimed at at removing agriculture, at, at eliminating agriculture's capabilities, uh, you know, Ag should look at it with a with a, a little bit of suspicion or a lot of suspicion. This bill sets out to buy out feedlots over a thousand head by 2040, and like you said, you know, direct them towards other ways of of making a living. Um, and and you know, we we see that in other areas as well. You know, CRP ground um, that, that that people are being paid to not to not utilize. Um, we believe that agriculture is a benefit. Um, rather than a detractor. We believe that that well-managed grazing systems are essential to combating climate change and reducing our carbon footprint. If you take that away, we lose. I mean, never mind the fact that we lose our productivity. Um, we lose options for our producers. And and right now, you know, given the challenges we've had in the cattle markets, given the challenges we've had with leverage and pricing for producers, we want more options. We want more possibilities for how you can move your operation forward, different ways to add value in the supply chain. Um, and, and so taking all those options away uh, is, is, is really an additional headwind that, that we just don't need uh, in, the, in the supply chain at this point. Yeah, for sure. And the act, um, like you said, will prohibit construction of new large feedlots, expansion of the current, those currently that are operating. It would require large feed lots to cease operation by, like you said, 2040, 2040. but it also establishes a voluntary debt forgiveness program and that feedlot owners, um, they give them grants to pay off their debts to transition. Uh, So how is, how do you think that's going to be received by the cattle farmer? Well, you know, I I don't know a whole lot of uh, cattle farmers and ranchers that are saying, gosh, I wish somebody would take me out of business. Um, you know, I mean, sure, we'd, we'd all like to have less leveraged, you know, uh, issues and debt obligations on, on our operations. And, and, and certainly uh, that debt load and that escalating debt load is a challenge for producers across the spectrum, particularly at this point in the cattle cycle. Um, you know, we're all sort of waiting and hoping that that, that, that that turn in the cycle comes that we know we can expect every, every few years where we kind of start to recapture the momentum and, and can make up some ground on prices. Um, because those those that debt starts to build, and that's a challenge. And there are some things that are that are peppered through this bill that kind of resonate on some of those topics. There's some language on product of the USA labeling in there, which mm-hmm. is something that we've been advocating for some reform in that area as well. That's by design, right? To to oh gosh, this bill does a lot of different things, but you can't take your eye off the ball. I mean, the main deliverable in there is is eliminating the feedlot system by 2040. Um, and, and putting a few items in there to kind of make the medicine go down um, doesn't make it a bill worth looking at. It it, it just makes it a sophisticated uh, attack on our industry. Right. Yeah. And the Animal Welfare Institute, they they promote their support for the, the bill. Um, they've said the current model of industrial animal agriculture that dominates our food system is unsustainable. So how do we, as the ag industry, how do we answer that? Well, you know, I always I always bristle when someone talks about industrial agriculture, right? Because when it's a mom and a dad and a daughter running a running a feedlot, whether it's a thousand head or twenty thousand head, you know, and that's a family business. Um, you've been on those operations, so have I. Um, you know, that's that's hardly an industrial 
site, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's an agricultural <laughs> operation. Um, and and it, it, they look, they all look and feel like what we know to be agriculture. Right. Um, we're feeding people at scale. We're feeding the world on on these landscapes and and using these technologies and resources. And we're getting better and better at doing that every day. So to take an industry that is ninety five percent those family operations, those those multi generational family operations, and and paint them as somehow being a big dirty industrial company um, is is sort of an indication of how they feel about the people that they're ostensibly trying to help, right? Because the ratios just don't just don't add up. I mean, our average member or average producer in this country has 40 head of cattle. That's 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 the size of the average cattle producer in this country. Um, and they grow those cattle and feed them into a system that gets them to market. Um, that's 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 how we <coughs> excuse me, that's how we we do what we do in this country. Yeah. So it's it's really one of those things where you gotta look below the surface and make sure you're asking some serious questions about about the intent of, of some of these uh, some of these pieces of legislation and and you got to consider the source too um, you know quite frankly we have a, a, a really uh, bountiful array of, of advocates for the cattle industry on Capitol Hill I was just up on the hill this morning uh, talking to some members of Congress and uh, you know cattle country is blessed to have a lot of members that really care about what happens to our producers they right. care about that end product they care about the land that we work um, None of them are associated with this bill. And that should tell you something right off the bat. For sure. And last week you gave a response to the bill um, and you stated that the contrast between the two proposals that were put forward saying that the second is a kind of broad jumbled mess that you get when you're more focused on Twitter and talking points than the sound uh, legislating that rural Americans need. So can you elaborate, elaborate more on what you meant with that? You, you bet. I, I mean, I don't think anybody in 2021 is unaware of, of the, you know, the influence of social media on, on the conversation. Yeah. Uh, information gets distorted. Messages uh, get twisted. People can manipulate those environments. Um, mm-hmm. this, this effort and some of the groups that are supporting it very much look and feel like what we call AstroTurf in, in the political business, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's by design supposed to sort of deceive. Um, and so if you're taking talking points um, from some of these organizations that exist online, that, that exist to misinform and, and to derail the real messages that agriculture is trying to get out there about our, 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 our good work and about our benefits to the environment. Um, this is what you get. You know, you hear those talking points throughout the language in the bill and you hear it in how they've pitched the bill, right? You said it, industrial agriculture. I mean, those, that's terminology that comes from people who want to end animal agriculture in this country. Yeah, that's they're the thinking pattern. concrete and and fumes, right? Well, that's not what it is. It's birds and sunshine. <laughs> exactly. There's imagery, and and you know yeah. there are people in this town that have made an entire career out of not what you say, but how you say it. And right. and those those words matter because when an American goes to the grocery store and and looks at the meat case and is deciding what to feed their family that night, those those people who want to end animal agriculture are trying to get those messages across so that, gosh, it's in the back of my head, I'm buying a dirty product. I'm buying, you know, industrial, industrialized food. And, and we know that we know the reality of that is, is the furthest thing from, from the truth. Um, You know, I first food, my son ate, I have a three and a half year old. The first food he ate was beef. Um, And, and to this day, it's what he demands on a, on a daily basis around, around our house. Um, And the reason that we feed it to him isn't just because I'm a lobbyist for the beef industry, because I know where it comes from. And I know how it's raised and I know how safe it is for, for my family to eat. And that's the message we want to make sure we're getting across to the rest of the, uh, the, the, the food buying public, not just in this country, but around the world. And when we see a bill like this using terminology like that, 
Um, that's an that's an obvious attempt to to discredit the work of eight hundred thousand cattle producers around the country. Yeah, exactly. And the the pandemic it's really um, exposed a lot of the serious weaknesses in our supply chain and our food system. So, in your opinion, is there a solution, and what is the solution? So you're you're right. We really stress tested the system during mm-hmm. COVID, and and you know it, it, there's two ways to look at it. You know. Considering the, the, the 45% decline in packing capacity, considering the fact that we saw 85 or something percent of restaurants close almost overnight around the country and that, that shift that had to occur from, you know, the, the, the huge volume of, of beef going to food service and then that, the, that secondary volume going to retail store shelves and that pivot that had to occur in the system to get that product to store shelves. And, you know, certainly we all saw those pictures of empty meat cases and, and, you know, yeah. thankfully, a full case of Beyond Meat right next to it, because even in a pandemic, people <laughs> buy that. Um, but but you know that 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 was really, I think, jarring for the American people. And then, yeah. as as we got those kind of wrinkles out of the system, even though there was a processing capacity shortage, you know, we were never short of product. I mean, there was beef moving through the system, and Americans had to learn how to cook things they maybe weren't used to cooking. They were getting cuts that they weren't used to buying. Maybe they're used to buying a couple ribeyes every week. And then they were looking at a tri-tip. Now I'm from Arizona. I know how to cook a tri-tip, but if you're not used to cooking that, you know, you, you need to go figure out how to adapt to some of those things. But we really did kind of figure out some of those weaknesses in the system. Um, labor continues to be yeah. a really persistent challenge um, in looking at, you know, and, and certainly the packing industry has their own lobbyists and, and a lot of people that are working on those issues in particular. But for us representing our members, it's critically important that that segment of the chain function properly so that our, our animals have a place to go and be processed and put on store shelves as efficiently as possible. Um, so that labor challenge continues to be one of the biggest ones we're facing. And, you know, we know that that's not just an agriculture issue. It's not just a beef industry issue. We're seeing it throughout the economy right now. A lot of folks are still receiving um, a lot of federal benefits to, to stay home um, because of the pandemic. That is that is leading to a lot of challenges inside the, the supply chain as far as just getting workers to show up every day. I mean, we've seen the Packers add uh, quite a bit of starting salary money. Uh, you know, I think we've gone from 15 or 16 bucks an hour starting to some, in some cases, 21, 22, $23, trying to entice people to come back to work. Um, those are hard jobs. I think we got it. We have to be, you know, we have to be cognizant of the fact that it's not everybody that wants to go uh, work in a packing plant 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. um, but they're also good jobs. I mean, they're, they're, they're stable, good paying jobs. And that's a challenge we're going to have to get over um, to get that sort of workforce sustained and, and really back plugged in every day to keep that consistent supply going. Um, we also are, are going to have to really start thinking about, you know, that surging demand globally. We're, we're in a herd contraction right now that economists have been predict, predicting for a couple of years now, and it's being exacerbated by drought conditions in the West, the prices that producers are getting for their animals. So we're, we're, we're reducing our herd at a point where, boy, there's so much opportunity globally and, and, and here in the U.S., we have surging demand. We want to feed that population. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to have to shrink back that supply, but we need more hook space to do that. Even if we're fully staffed, we're short of hook space to really get that product moved through the system. It's I keep equating it to a dumbbell. We have, um, you know, a 20-pound weight on one side with a really large supply of high-quality market-ready cattle. And then we have a tight pipeline in the middle to get them through. And we have that huge pent up demand on the mm-hmm. other side. And, and that is really leading to kind of a, a worst case scenario for our producers, because 
you know, there's a, there, there's a high beef cutout value on one side and everyone in the industry is very well aware of that and, and very low prices for our producers, far under what they should be receiving for producing such a great product. Hookspace is going to solve some of that. Better product differentiation in the market is going to solve some of that. That's why we've been so focused on product of the USA right now. Right. Product can be labeled product of the USA simply by passing through an FSIS inspected facility. There, it's agnostic as to origin. I think people get confused about that. It, it's, it's simply FSIS saying this was processed in an FSIS inspected facility. So we're asking USDA to look at that and revise that label so that it's more in line with consumer expectations of what's in the package. Right. And that's going to free up some room for more use of process verified programs at USDA. That, that functionality exists already, mm-hmm. but it's really disincentivized by that competition from those kind of easy button product of the USA labels that can be applied by the retailers and the packers now. We want to drive more business to those source verified programs because that's where our producers are going to be able to really take a hand in creating some value added labels that are true marketing labels and that are going to truly deliver some value back to them at the ranch level. Consumers are telling us what they want. Go to your grocery store. There's, there's, you know, local beef. If I'm you know, here in Virginia, we have MVP beef. We have a couple different local retailers that are, you know, that are processing beef locally and selling it. And it's trading at a couple dollars higher than, than just graded product in the grocery store. Consumers are responding to that. They like the idea of buying a product from 100 miles down the road. Diversifying that packing capacity and allowing more opportunities for, for niche labeling is going to give our producers more, more hand and more leverage in that conversation um, to make sure that they're deriving that value. And it's also going to spread that load around a little bit and give us more options uh, for moving that product through the system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely stand behind that for sure. Yeah. And, and that's what you said even before is that they're mixing up really good ideas with these really bad ideas and yeah. trying to push it all through at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah. It's right. just pretty crazy. It's, it's, it's uh, par for the course in Washington, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything we, as the industry, the people in the industry, is there anything we can do to help? So we have done a better job. One of my biggest frustrations for, for a long time in agriculture is that we, we don't always, we tell each other our story really well. Mm-hmm. We do a really good job of talking to each other. We, we've traditionally done a really bad job of talking to anybody else mm-hmm. and really getting that message out beyond our own gate, right? Mm-hmm. We've done a better job of that during the pandemic than I think at any time uh, that I can remember. We've, we have Congress's attention. We have the public's attention. We've seen more national media coverage of this um, than we've seen in a very long time. We need to take advantage of that. We need to make sure that when members of Congress are out touring um, in their districts and running for Congress again, that we're taking that opportunity to say, hey, I'm a cattle producer in your district, and here are the issues that are making it harder for me to grow and making it harder for me to hire and, and, and expand my business. Um, keep sharing those stories. Keep, keep making sure that you're engaging and taking that opportunity. Don't assume somebody else is doing it. Um, and, and quite frankly, keep engaging with your, with your state cattlemen's association, with your county cattlemen's association, with us at NCBA, participate in that process. I keep telling people, don't get mad, get involved and, and share your opinion and make sure that your voice is part of those solutions so that when we go to Congress, when we communicate what this industry needs to be successful, we're really speaking for as many producers as possible and, and, and putting the best and brightest ideas forward. Yeah, that's great advice. And I have one last question for you. Why are you so passionate about these issues that uh, affect producers? 
you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, in the, the, the quarter horse world and, and my family has quarter horses and cattle and, and I'm, I'm from a ranching background. I, I started my career buying ranches. Um, this is, this is, you know, like a lot of us in, in, in agriculture in Washington, this is where I'm from. You know, when, when something goes wrong in the cattle business, the first call I usually get is from my parents asking me what I screwed up. You know what I mean? It's, and so these issues hit home, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you, everyone gets passionate in Washington. That's why everybody, you know, who comes here puts up with all of the grief that it takes to live here so that you can be involved in these conversations. But um, boy, it, it hits home. And, and when you have family that are involved and, and, and it's your way of life, um, it means a little more. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you really uh, want to make sure that you, you do the best for them here in Washington. You represent them to the best of your ability. And sometimes, yeah, you, you have to fight uh, in a town that is kind of geared against us. Um, and, and so some days we're making friends and other days we're putting our helmet on and, and, uh, and going to battle. And, and yeah. that's, that's um, there's no one I'd rather do it for. It's, it's, uh, it's fulfilling work even on, on days when you're frustrated. Right. Yeah. And thank you for doing that. Right. We need these voices. Well, and thank you for getting the message out. I mean, it's so critically important that, that these kinds of programs are out there uh, so that producers get that full picture of what's happening. So the work you guys do is absolutely invaluable. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today, Ethan. I really appreciate your input. You bet. Happy to be here. And thanks to everyone who's watching or listening. If you want more information, the links are provided in the show notes. Um, don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube and Rumble. And uh, the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.